if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Once again, thank you for joining us this morning at eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock as we are underway on a Thursday. It's the 28th morning of the first month of the year of our Lord, 2021. Coming up on the program, we're going to talk to Steve Moore, former White House advisor. He's going to tell us exactly uh, not tell us, because I think we already know, but he's going to give us some details on exactly how far we have fallen in one week, actually eight days now, of the Biden presidency in terms of the Constitution, in terms of uh, broken promises, in terms of kept promises, the worst kind, and in terms of 37 executive orders in one week. It is by far a record for any president in terms of executive actions, without even considering the prospect and the possibility of, of indeed um, using the legislative process and allowing the Congress to make laws, it is by far a record for any president uh, in his first week to have 37 executive orders. It is, you know, and we all know that a lot of presidents, when they run for a president, say that when I get in on day one, I will roll back this, that, or the other bad policy that I don't like from the other guys. We know that. That does happen. But no one has ever done it on as broad of a scale, not just the number of orders, but on such a broad scale that indicates this is uh, very specifically uh, just the appetizers. This is just the, the precursor to the big orders that are to come. That's the most frustrating and dangerous part of this, 37 executive orders. And this, by the way, comes from the guy who declared that you cannot legislate by executive order unless you are a dictator. This is what Joe Biden said not 25 years ago. This is what Joe Biden said as the Democrat nominee in October of 2020. As he ran for president one month out, actually a little less than one month, because I think this is in late October, before the November 3rd election. This is what Joe Biden said about uh, legislating by executive order instead of going through the Congress uh, to enact legislation. Sure. So there's not going to be any delay on the tax increases. No, well, I got to get the votes. I got to get the votes. That's why, you know, uh, the one thing that I, ha- I have this strange notion 
We are a democracy. Some of my Republican friends and some of my Democratic friends even occasionally say, well, if you can't get the votes by executive order, you're going to do something. Things you can't do by executive order unless you're a dictator. We're a democracy. We need consensus. Got to take a quick break. These are things you cannot do by executive order unless you're a dictator. You've got to get the votes. We're a democracy. Now, I'm going to let slide his unbelievably ridiculous, obtuse statement that we are a democracy and not a representative republic. I'm going to let that part slide. Too many liberal Democrats think that we are a democracy in the truest form of the word democracy in that the people vote on everything, and that is not true. We elect representatives to go to Congress to vote for us and to represent us. We are a representative republic. It is very different than a democracy. But aside from that nonsense... You heard it yourself. Joe Biden declaring that if you try to legislate by executive order, then you are, by definition, a dictator. And this man has signed 37 EOs, which again are just the precursors, the appetizers to the main course, which is still to come, uh, in terms of some of the wildest, most radical ideas to ever come down the line the most radically progressive ideas to ever come down the line. And, of course, we're talking about everything from statehood for D.C. to court packing in the Supreme Court, which we have a story on as well today, uh, to the Green New Deal literally destroying fossil fuels and the fossil fuel industry, and thus, Lord knows how many fossil fuel jobs for hardworking Americans. I literally don't know the number, but just understand that in the coal, natural gas, and oil industry, there are probably millions of workers. And I might, I might, I may be off base on that. That's just a probably on my part. But you know as well as I do that it is obviously, you know, the backbone of the American energy industry. You know, we are a fossil fuel country. And really, most of the world is as well. And the nice part about that is we were feeding the energy to the rest of the world under for the first time. Really, under the Trump administration, we were net exporters of energy rather than importers for the first time. Joe Biden is guaranteeing we are going to become importers again. Because the straight truth of the matter is there is no way, none, zero, that uh, renewable, solar, or wind-powered, or battery-built energy is going to be able to uh, to run this country with the hundreds of thousands of trucks that deliver our goods every single day, uh, flight, you know, jet travel in this country, uh, commuting, I mean, just about everything you can think of that we were farming, that we rely on fossil fuels for, cannot be replaced by renewable energy. So eventually this is going to be a smack in the head of reality to these guys, And they're going to realize, yeah, we're going to need some of those fossil fuels after all, except we killed the industry. So now we're going to have to import more oil. Let's get those tankers going. By the way, what are those tankers running on? Not solar power. Get those tankers uh, 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 from across uh, the world uh, and uh, ship those, uh, uh, those oil reserves to us. But anyway, he did all of this and is doing all of this with executive order. No, well, i got to get the votes. I got to get the votes. That's why, you know, uh, the one thing that I I have this strange notion, we are a democracy. It is a strange notion because you're wrong. 
some of my Republican friends and some of my Democratic friends even occasionally say, well, if you can't get the votes by executive order, you're going to do something. Things you can't do by executive order unless you're a dictator. You can't do things by executive order unless you're a dictator. Well, apparently Joe Biden has taken on the mantle of dictator. So let's get into some of the responses here. What are we going to do to stop the executive orders? Since he, and by the way, let me hit this real fast. Just a very important note, but it's a very simplistic one as well. Generally speaking, presidents who rely on executive order to get certain things done, including President Trump, have to do so when the Congress is controlled by the opposition party. In other words, if the Congress is not likely to enact legislation and pass legislation and send to you for signature that you agree with and that you believe is right, um, then sometimes, you know, presidents rely on executive order for certain things. Okay, that's true of Republican and Democrat presidents. But it should be noted that Joe Biden has come into office as president of the United States as a Democrat. And the Democrats, his party, have control of the House. And the Democrats, albeit by tiebreaker majority, because it's 50-50 in the Senate, you know, Kamala Harris says the vice president casts any tie-breaking votes in the Senate. He's got the majority, although it's slim, uh, in, in in the Senate as well. So it's rare, it's beyond rare, for a president to use this many executive orders when he has control of the Congress in his party. Why isn't he instructing Nancy Pelosi and other party leaders in the House to say, this is what I want you to pass. This is what I want you to start. This is the legislation that I want you to to pursue. Get it to me so I can sign it. That's how it's supposed to be done, unless you're a dictator. His words, by the way, not mine. So what can we do? Can't count on the Congress to stop him. The answer may may just be, State attorneys general. This is what they're going to have to do. For example, Joe Biden's 100-day moratorium on deporting criminal illegal aliens, which would just be a devastating, devastating thing for uh, safety and security on our streets and on our communities, uh, was challenged in court by the state of Texas. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton filed for injunctive relief to stop that got a two-week pause on it so that it can be heard in court. That's good. State attorneys general are going to have to rise up and challenge in courts of law federal orders by Joe Biden that are going to put the people of their state in peril in one way or another. And that's exactly what's going to start happening. The attorney general in the state of West Virginia is Patrick Morrissey. What he's doing to advance the Green New Deal, and I think this is just the beginning, we're going to begin to see him use this on major issues throughout his presidency. He's going to begin to use this executive order on major initiatives throughout his presidency. There's no question about that. Once again, Patrick Morrissey, AG, West Virginia. What this president is becoming known for within one week is that he's willing to go to all ends to use his executive authority to implement his ideas. And I'm deeply worried about that because of the impact of jobs. I'm deeply worried about that because of the impact on jobs as well, but also on safety and security measures. One more from the uh, West Virginia AG. With the House and the Senate 
not in control of folks who are willing to stop the Green New Deal, it's going to rest on the Republican attorneys general to make sure that rational decision-making occurs. Rational decision-making must occur, and it is going to be up to mostly Republican attorneys general. He is a thousand percent correct. But there are parties in Congress, including the Senate, who are very well aware of the danger of these executive orders becoming so commonplace and so widespread and so extraordinarily um, uh, broad in their scope uh, that they're going to have to push back in whatever way that they can. Here is uh, Wyoming Senator uh, John Barrasso. He killed the Keystone XL pipeline, and he's killing energy jobs all around the country by stopping additional leasing for oil, gas, coal all around America. That's maybe coming up as high as 30,000 jobs in Wyoming. 30,000 jobs in just Wyoming. Forget about the number of jobs when the, um, uh, when the ban on drilling and exploration on federal lands and waters is fully in effect. It is in effect right now. On a 60-day pause, wait until it becomes permanent. And what is a pause on all of those things, drilling and exploring on federal lands and federal waters? What is that? That is a broken campaign promise. How many times did you hear Joe Biden, how many times in the campaign, deny his earlier statement and the statement of Kamala Harris that they would ban fracking? on federal lands. She said it earlier in the campaign. He denied it, and then the two of them together said, we are not going to ban fracking. We're not going to ban new fracking. Literally a couple of days into his presidency, among the 37 orders, is to ban fracking, because fracking is indeed drilling and exploring on federal lands for new sources of energy. That is exactly what he said he was not going to do. So we are talking about the beginning of an administration that is using dictatorial powers, not by the description of the minority party, the Republicans, but by his own description, Joe Biden's description, using their executive authority to put thousands and thousands of people out of work, and to begin to grant every dream that any liberal progressive socialist has ever had. Doing it unilaterally through executive order, not through congressional legislation. And he's only getting warmed up. All right, we're going to talk to uh, Steve Moore about that, like I said, coming up in about uh, 15 minutes. I want to talk to you at 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. This is The Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 926. Uh, we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. So um, I'm talking about all of the lost jobs because of the attack on the energy sector, on fossil fuels, the Keystone Pipeline. Obviously, everybody knows that. Um, it's more than just that, of course. Um, the former Border Patrol chief has declared that just halting construction on the border wall 
which of course has been erected to protect the people of the United States of America from a variety of threats, not to keep out migrants and refugees who are just struggling and starving and trying to, to better their lives. The border wall, of course, is to keep order. The border should maintain order, and the wall does that. But the construction of that border wall has been halted under Joe Biden, and that's going to cost, according to the Border Patrol, around 5,000 jobs. Have you ever seen or heard of a president coming into office and in less than a week on the job killing tens of thousands of American jobs? Worse yet, have you ever heard an answer from a a more tone-deaf administration to those complaints as bizarre and absurd as get other jobs? That's their answer. John Kerry yesterday speaking in a press conference outlining uh, Biden's new executive orders on climate change. John Kerry yesterday said, get other jobs. I'm I'm not mistaking that. If you are in the fossil fuel industry and you're going to lose your job, which you are, get other jobs. Go work on building solar panels. Go work on building wind turbines. This is what he said. Now, I'm going to point out the absurdity on two levels here. Number one, it's not as easy as come up out of the coal mine and go and work in a factory on wind turbines. Learning new skills, learning new jobs is not just something you can do in a blink of an eye. There's going to be a period of time, a transition period, in which people's families are going to starve. That's the first absurdity. The second absurdity is, are they going to build wind turbine factories in the same towns as these oil workers and coal miners and natural gas uh, uh, prospectors and workers? Because if they're not, now you're telling people they have to uproot their lives, wherever it is that they may live, and they were settled in for the rest of their lives, going to work at the local plant or the local uh, rig, the refinery, the coal mine, whatever the case might be, now in order to pick up my life and the shattered pieces that remain of it after Joe Biden and John Kerry got done making the world greener, I'm going to have to pick up and move my family to a place, if there is a job for me there, at a solar panel factory or at a wind turbine factory. The This is... These people are so out of touch with the average middle-class, blue-collar, working Americans, it's hard to put into words, but this is exactly what they are trying to do. We're going to talk a little bit bit more about that, too, coming up with Steve Moore in just a few. And by the way, if I don't get everything that I want to get into the two hours of the show today, I've got good news for you. I'm sitting in for Dennis Prager this afternoon. So Dennis Prager, live from noon to three. It'll be heard here from one to three because we have Charlie Kirk. But make sure that you tune in for uh, for the Prager show today as I will be expanding upon the conversations uh, throughout the day today. All right, it's 9.30, time for news. Steve Moore next, and 
Okay, it's 935 now, AM 1420. The answer continues on this Thursday. Appreciate you being with us. Phone lines are open at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. We'll get back to you after we talk to Steve Moore. Joining us once again, former Trump advisor Steve Moore, uh, back with us on AM 1420. The answer. We tried him a couple of other times during this transition period, but we're so glad to have him now because we are seeing that what we were told during the transition, particularly in the inaugural speech, is not exactly how things are playing out for us uh, in this country. Steve, good to have you back. How are you, sir? Hey, good morning. And boy, are you right about that. I mean, it's amazing. It was just uh, about a week ago that, uh, anyway, it seems like a year, doesn't it? <laughs> that, well, 37 uh, executive me. orders in, that, that does seem like it took a year. Instead, it took six days. Yeah. It took six days. And, you know, it was amazing because, uh, you know, Joe Biden talked about unity and how we're all going to work together. And, of course, uh, every single act so far, of those, how many was it? Thirty-seven, I think you said. Yeah, thirty-seven uh, in six days. They are all basically, you know, far, far left-wing policies that uh, a lot of Americans are scratching their head, wondering why, you know, we're killing the Keystone Pipeline, uh, ten thousand jobs, why we're re-entering the one of the worst treaties in American history, the Paris Climate Accord that puts all the costs on America, why we're allowing China access to our electric grid system, you know, why uh, Biden overturned. Uh, one of the most popular executive orders of Trump. Remember the one for every new regulation? Remember that one for every yep. one new yep. regulation we were going to repeal, too? Well, Biden has, has repealed that order because he says he doesn't want to, quote, frustrate, unquote, federal regulators. Well, you know, the whole, the whole idea was to try to frustrate federal regulators because that's what they do to American businesses. They frustrate us with all their rules and regulations and red tape. And so, um, you know, I, I hope for the best for this president, but he's off, off to a very... Uh, a very awful start. Yeah, no question about that. You know, and, and we'll come back to this, I guess. But the whole point about you know uh, the regulations is it it opened up so many more doors and opportunities for businesses to grow and thrive and expand, which is why we had such record breaking economic growth in the first three years of the Trump presidency. Of course, the fourth year was marred by COVID, but that deregulation is what allowed businesses and owners to expand and grow. And now that is literally being clamped shut by the new administration, which is just kind of bizarre. But let's. Stay with the theme of unity. I read your article, Steve Moore, uh, uh, about the friends, uh, no, family friends. Can I just say one thing yeah. about this? That, yeah. Um, you know, you, you're so right that, um, it, it, you know, the deregulation, as you, as you know, I, I, you know, I did advise Donald Trump on the economy, and we're very proud of what we accomplished, and, and I helped write the tax bill that we passed. So I just wanted to mention that in addition to, I mean, I think that, Two or three things that Trump did that were the most effective in terms of causing the booming economy we saw was, number one, the deregulation. Number two, the tax rate reductions on American businesses. Uh, and number three was the, <coughs> excuse me, the drive to make America energy independent. We did all three of those things. And isn't it interesting? Biden is reversing every single one of those three policies. And, you know, we, we twisted the dials towards growth. And what Biden is doing is twisting them back in the opposite direction. And usually when that happens, you get the opposite results. That's very well said. Uh, and, and that's the most bizarre part about this. You would think that if he wanted to come in and, 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 uh, and we'll get to the unity thing too again, it kind of ties together. If he wanted to come in and unify and he wanted to deal with some of the issues, uh, that he disagreed with this president on and so on and so forth, that's fine. But you don't 
undo the ones that work. That's the one thing you don't want to do, even if you are coming in from the opposite party. You win against an incumbent president. His policies were working on one area or or another. You don't come in and undo those and harm Americans all to satisfy your radical base. And that is unfortunately... Except for the fact, I mean, you're exactly right, except for the fact what this shows is that in the Biden administration, there is very severe um, Trump derangement syndrome. So even when Trump did things, you know, and look, not everything that Trump did was great. You know, he made mis- some mistakes, too. But the fundamental thing is that they are so deranged by their hatred of Trump that anything that he did, they want to reverse, even, as you said, even if even it, if it works policy. Right. Right. That, that's exactly right. We're talking to Steve Moore. Steve is a former economic advisor to President Trump. He's also a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, so, Steve, let's let's get back to the unity issue, because I read your article in which you talked about uh, one of your wife's best friends and his uh, her yeah. husband and how you guys, you know, the four of you used to be kind of a, a close, a close knit group, if right. you will. And um, things change. Can you tell us that story? Yeah, that story's really gotten picked up quite a bit, you know, in, in the column I wrote this week. And the quick story is that uh, my wife was a really close friends with a woman she had met in a mother's group, you know, in our local community. And they you know, were, you know, text every day, and they were on Facebook, and friends on Facebook and all that kind of thing. I knew her husband, you know, a little bit, but, you know, it was really the, the, the girls who were friends. Okay. And so uh, one day my wife said, I mean, this is really strange that Jane isn't, you know, she's not responding to my texts now. She's, you know, she's, you know, just been really standoffish and so on. And then about a week later, she said, you know, Jane just, um, what's the term, un- unfriended, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, that sounds right. Really and friended me on Facebook. And, you know, that's kind of a slap in the face when someone does that to you. Uh, you know, in term, you know, it's basically saying, I don't, I don't want to associate with you anymore. And so, you know, that kind of bothered my wife. And so finally she confronted you know, her friend Jane, when she saw her at the grocery store, said, hey, you know, Jane, what's going on? Uh, and and uh, her friend Jane said, well, you know, um, frankly, she said, that, um, you know, uh, John, her husband and I are, are so, quote, appalled, unquote, by the things that Steve is writing and saying on TV uh, that, uh, you know, we, we just don't think we should associate with you anymore or something, something to that effect. And, you know, my wife said, oh, okay, well, you know, I'm sorry, sorry about that. And, you know, what I, what I remember about is, like, sometimes I do say, you know, I'm a pretty strong opinion guy, as you know. Sure. So I, I don't get offended if someone disagrees with what I say. You know, I mean, that, that's what talk radio is about, you know. Uh, and, and people, you know, have a right to have different opinions. But what was so interesting about it is that the word appalled. And as I said in my column, you know, you're appalled at someone when, you know, they make a pass at your wife or something like that, you know. <laughs> You don't get appalled by someone by, you know, their opinion. And there's a kind of righteousness on the left that they are. The left today feels that they are not just smarter and they think they are. They think they're smarter, but they also think that they're morally more righteous than we are on the right. And that therefore that that kind of um, it gives them a license to just steamroller all over us because we're morally deficient. And that's really troubling and i don't know if others have had that experience uh but it's because i've gotten so many letters and emails from people saying you know we've experienced the same kind of thing where liberals you know don't want to associate with us and by the way that's fine i mean if they i you know if they they don't want to you know be friends with 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 us i mean that's that's fine but uh i do I, i am bothered by the fact that they think that they are smarter and morally superior to conservatives when when they're not 
Steve, we're talking to Steve Moore, former economic advisor to President Trump, uh, senior fellow with the um, uh, Heritage Foundation as well. Steve, I, I, I'm going to play devil's advocate here because I'm on your side. All right, I feel the same exact right. way. I think it's terrible. However, um, they might argue, wait a minute, you guys are the ones who think you're superior to us because you stand right. on your pro-life message and you call us right. baby killers. And right. you know what I mean? Right. And, and, and yeah. there, there, there is a two-way street there. Families have been sure. broken up, not just friendships, but families yeah. have been yeah. broken up. Relationships right. between brothers and sisters, between parents and kids, adult kids, have been broken up because of their disagreement on policy and on um, you know, a variety of political issues in this country. So, you know, Joe Biden wants to bring everybody together. He's He's got a very strange way to do it when he is essentially continuing to pit the right against the left rather than than meeting well, in the exactly. middle the way he and said he, he would. Right. And I, I in my column, I cite, you know, a number of uh, you know liberal columnists who basically say, you know, what is all this about uniting? We don't want to unite with these people. I, I, you know, it, by, that is by those of us on the right. right. And there is one really troubling aspect to this, which is more and more you're seeing, you know, voices on the left saying stuff like, we need to, quote, re-educate people on the right. We need to, like almost an indoctrination, uh, you know, which is exactly you know, frightening. That. I mean, that's what that... Uh, they said it's exactly that. That's what they want. When they say yeah. re-educate, they mean indoctrinate. Yeah, right. And that that's kind of spooky. I mean, that's what, you know, that's what Mao did in China. And look, I'm not saying, again, I'm going to be carried away here, uh, but... That is what communists did. You know, if you didn't buy into the program, they put you in re-education camps until you did buy with the program. It's a little bit, uh, you know, Orwellian, and um, it's it's kind of, it's a little frightening to me. I mean, these people are out of control. Uh, they are, um, you know, look what they're doing with respect to uh, firing anybody from positions that uh, uh, it, uh, that uh, if they don't agree with them on uh, on uh, you know political philosophy, uh, there is a real um, purge of conservatives in, in businesses and so on. So it, it's, a, it's a frightening time. And I think as conservatives, we cannot back down. We cannot let them shut us up as they're trying to do, um, you know, these high-tech platforms. That That's made our side very angry. Um, but, you know, we should have an honest debate, right? We should have an honest debate about these things and not just think that someone who disagrees with us is, uh, is uh, evil, yeah, that that's very well said, and and that is exactly though what is going on. You describe in your article, uh, Steve, your column uh, that we're a nation of Hatfields and McCoys right now, and I think that is true. And each side thinks that they are right, but uh, the the bottom line here is Joe Biden made that inaugural speech and continues to say we are going to be a unified. I don't see blue state, I don't see red state, I see United States. And then let's talk about Steve some of these three seven orders. They are specifically designed to divide, and, and whether it's talking about we are going to uh, allow girls sports and athletics to be ruined and opportunities for girls to be destroyed by saying, boys, if you feel like you're a girl, you go ahead and take those girls out uh, in all of their competition. That's not going to bring anybody together. By killing the fossil fuel industry on day one, getting rid of the Keystone XL pipeline permits, banning federal exploration and drilling on federal lands and waters, you think that's going to appeal to hundreds of thousands of, of, uh, of fossil fuel workers and their families? And then, of course, not standing in the way of this ridiculous Shampeachment of Donald Trump. You think that's going to bring 75 million Trump voters together to unite with Biden voters and let's work together for the betterment of the country? That's the part of this that is. You want to use the word appalling, Steve? Your 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 wife's friend used that word. I'm going to use it because I'm appalled by that. Yeah, and look, um, they don't want to unite. 
Yeah, that's that's the point. They may use the words, but you know their actions suggest that they don't want to unite with us. They want submission. You know, they don't want unity. They want submission and surrender by the right. And we're not going to surrender. You know, I've been in this game a long time, and I I believe what is very likely to happen. And you've been in this game a long time too. So you remember, remember what happened in 1993 and 1994 when Bill Clinton was president and the left went on a rampage as they're doing now. And what happened? We had the Newt Gingrich revolution. Remember that? Where Republicans came in and just swept, you know, swept, uh, you know, all over the country. Uh, and then, you know, history repeated itself in 2009 and 2010 when Obama became president. And, um, you know, we, we had the economy kind of collapsed even more and we had, uh, you know, very high unemployment and, we had uh, all these tax increases and things, and the and the people, re, you know, revolted against that. We had a massive, um, you know, uh, 2010 election where Republicans, you know, swept back into power. So I think you're seeing that again right now, where Democrats are, are drunk with power right now because they have functional control of the Senate and control of the House, although those majorities are very slim. And uh, yeah, what worries me is they are going to use this one power that they have, but they have a ruling majority to change the rules of the game. They are, they do want to pack the Supreme Court. They do want to add D.C. and Puerto Rico as states so they get four more Senate votes. They do want to end the filibuster. These are really important safeguards because one of the most important hallmarks of our country is protection of the rights of the minority, right? It's, it's one of the ingeniousnesses of our founding fathers, and they want to stampede right over those, and that makes me very nervous. Yeah, it does me too. Um, doesn't it take, though, two-thirds of a majority to do something as extreme as uh, making D.C. or Puerto Rico states? Because, uh, you know, they're not going to get 17 votes that they need to, to impeach Donald Trump. They're sure as heck not going to get 17 Republicans to yeah. join them in doing something as radical as that, right? Hopefully you're right. <laughs> I hope you're right. I think you're probably right. I don't know all those rules about what it requires for I believe that one is a two-thirds. Right yeah, I, I'm I not sure about the packing that. of the court, though. Changing the court, you know, the number of members of the Supreme I Court. Believe, no, they don't, need, they don't need 51. All they need is 51 votes in the Senate to do that, because okay. the Constitution does not put a cap on the number of uh, justices. Uh, but, you know, the problem is then it becomes tit for tat, right? If you're going to do it to us, we're going to And by the way, re- Republicans are sometimes guilty of this, too. We have to, you know, we are, I get, I get frustrated when people talk about, uh, you know, our democracy. We're not, we are not a democracy, folks. We are a representative form of government. You know, what's the old saying? Democracy is two wolves and a sheep voting on what they have for dinner. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and, you know, you need to protect the rights of minorities because, you know, at some point the Democrats are going to be in the minority again. Well, that's, and, that's uh, what Mitch you know, McConnell went to great lengths yesterday, I think, to, to point out. You mentioned it was a good speech. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned this about, um, you were talking about the statehood and about packing the court. You also mentioned the filibuster. I'm going to play 23 seconds to get your response yeah. to what Mitch McConnell said yesterday, and I think this is very well advised. The majority cannot even produce a quorum on their own, and one could be demanded by any senator at almost any time. Our committees need quorums to function as well, and will also be evenly split. If this majority went scorched earth, this body would grind to a halt like we've never seen. Okay, he didn't get to the part part there that I wanted in those 23 seconds, but he literally said, when we were the majority, we did not do that to the minority and eliminate the legislative filibuster to need a simple majority because that would have been scorched earth, and now we would strongly advise you not to do the same. Uh, Do you think they will listen? 
Uh, I don't know. <laughs> we will see, right? But I will say this, that I'm a huge fan of the filibuster. And I've, I, even when Republicans, you know, had, uh, you know, a 51, 52 seat majority in the Senate, some of my conservative friends, oh, let's get rid of the filibuster. I'm like, are you crazy? I mean, we, it should take 60 votes. It should take a supermajority to pass any legislation so that we don't make hasty decisions. You know, the, the Supreme Court, I mean, the, the founding fathers really set up a system of checks and balances that are highly effective. And they, they, uh, what they do is protect against the heat of the moment and making laws that we will, you know, they wanted a, a policy that, and a procedure where, you know, you had um, protection. And I, I'm worried that we're going to ram right through those. And the American people don't want that. No, they do not, uh, and that's very well said. Uh, unity is something that is sorely lacking right now, and it's even more, I think it's going to be even worse because he's promising to reverse that while engineering policies that are guaranteed to make things worse. Steve Moore, great article, and I'm so glad you told that personal story. I think a lot of people can relate to that. Steve, thanks so much for your time. Okay, Dr. Stewart, take care. Stephen Moore, Senior Fellow of the Heritage Foundation, former economic advisor to President Donald Trump, and we'll be right back after this. All right, 956, we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks to Steve Moore. Uh, really good stuff from Steve on the unity issue. Uh, we're going to get more specific into the nuts and bolts of some of these executive orders in the second hour of the program. And I want you to be a part of it at 216-901-0945 or 888 uh, Let's get a call in now from Navy Man Norm right here on The Answer. Hey, uh, Norm, how are you, sir? I'm wonderful, Bob. Uh, two things. I'm... Mm-hmm making a prediction that by July we will be in a full-blown depression because they don't care. They don't care what the 75 million Trump voters think or do, except when it comes to domestic terrorism. The Department of Homeland Security issued a memo yesterday citing, for example, of domestic terrorists as one, those who are angry over the results of the 2020 election, two, those who object to the lockdowns and the COVID vaccines. So I guess all of us are domestic terrorists, according to the Department of Homeland Security. And my other question... And yet, by the way, yet, the FBI, when asked about this, are they aware of any credible threats whatsoever? Because that's what they're trying to argue, is that these quote-unquote domestic terrorists, uh, particularly described as white male militia groups, uh, these domestic terrorists uh, are still a threat. That's why they have to keep... Uh, the National Guard troops in Washington, D.C. to protect the Capitol. There's still 10,000 surrounding the Capitol because these threats are still in existence. When asked specifically if there are any threats, the FBI said we are aware of none. None. Exactly. And Christopher Ray, well, he's, he's not aware of Antifa as being a threat because he says it's an ideology. I mean, after all, the I- ideology, he keeps burning down Portland night after night. Uh, no people do that. Just the ideology, you know. Yep, yep. It's and just the a, it's just a myth. Me, they're gonna they're gonna label veterans like myself, veterans like TJ, and the rest of our listeners as domestic terrorists because our my oath of enlistment doesn't expire. You know, I swore an oath to defend the Constitution of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and to bear true faith and allegiance to saints. So help me God. 
So, you know, God is, is, is totally anathema to them. You can't even say the word God. So, you know, but I, I said... Well, except for like Joe Biden, though, because Joe Biden has been described now and been declared by the media as the most pious and religiously observant uh, president in the last 50 years. That's literally devout, what they are calling him. A devout Catholic, or one who's going to eliminate the Mexican uh, uh, resolution to prevent our tax dollars going to provide abortions overseas. That's what exactly. the devout Catholic. Do, that's exactly that's exactly what it is. And by the way, isn't it also curious? And Norm, I got a jet here. Thanks for the call. Isn't it also curious that why they describe, or rather, while they describe Joe Biden as being such a devout, pious, observant Christian, uh, uh, you know, Catholic, um, and they use that as a way to praise him? They used Amy Coney Barrett's Catholicism and her devout pro-life stance and her seven children. They use that against her. She is going to take her faith and use it to bludgeon the Constitution from the her seat on the Supreme Court of the United States. There's no room in government for somebody who's that Catholic. Here comes Joe Biden. Oh, he's wonderful, isn't he? He's a pious, devout, observant Catholic. He just brings some morality back to the White House as he sends scores of babies to be butchered. Yeah, that might not be very unifying. We'll be right back.